All right, so, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for quoting Kathleen and for their wisdom, their years of experience, um, their uh, grandfather and grandmother-esque authority on uh, all things church and children and releasing uh, new generations into your kingdom. Um, Guide their words and uh, help us listen. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Wade. All right, so we are, if you're just joining us this morning, in a series on making disciples, specifically disciples making disciples. In other words, the assumption in the title is that in order to make disciples, you have to be one. And... um, The First Nations love a phrase that says, it takes a village to raise a child. And we could also paraphrase that to say, it takes a village to make disciples. Um, You remember that first week I I gave you that scenario of of one person making a disciple in one year, and then if they did the same the next year, in 30 years the world would would be reached. It's actually not a fair analysis because Jesus basically taught that it takes a community to make a disciple. And I I think you'll see that in our message this morning. And it's also true of of our children. In order to make uh, disciples of our children, it takes a community to make disciples. So uh, we've been talking uh, through winter and through spring about evangelism, about being good news, about making disciples, and it's just really uh, impossible to address this, this uh, theme without recognizing what the Father is doing in our church. Um, I often, as I pray for you, as I pray for our congregation, it, it strikes me how many times I will pray for someone, like Dawson and Leona, and for Jesse and Josiah, and then I'll pray for the baby that's on the way, and, and uh, the same for Mark, and for Lynn, and, and for Alec, and Crystal, and you know, it, 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 Jocelyn, and the baby, and I, I do that for our, our grandchildren you know, as well, when Danielle's pregnant, I'll pray for Samuel, and Annalise, and Hannah, and then the baby, and then it's, it's such a wonderful joy, and it takes me a bit of an adjustment for a couple of days, when finally that baby has a name, and so I start p- praying for Alina, and so there's, there's, there's such a sense that the Father is sending children to us, both through birth, as well as through parents like Kim and Aldona and others, who have chosen our church because they sense a welcome here. For children in our congregation. And to me, that is a, is a great honor. So we can't talk about this uh, whole issue of discipleship without um, uh, addressing the area of, of making disciples of our children and youth. But first of all, first things first again, uh, let's look at some scripture. Uh, this is Luke chapter 18, where... Uh, Verse 15, why don't we all read the text together? People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. Now, in this passage, Jesus totally turns the tables. We introduce this topic by saying, how can we as a community make disciples of children and youth? By the time we get to this little exchange, and the end of it, between Jesus and the, and the disciples... He has totally turned the tables. He, he is saying that we cannot be disciples unless we are a community that embraces children. 
He totally turns the, t the tables. And so it's not just about making disciples of children. It's about us being followers of Jesus. Uh, and, of course, uh, to illustrate, this is the latest shot of our latest arrival, Alina. And uh, it's hard to catch her with her eyes open these days, but we caught Hannah <laughs> with her eyes open. Hannah's in a year and a half. Babysitter already. And, of course, uh, An Annalise is Dee's uh, right-hand person helper there. So what we want to do is introduce some foundational principles that will kind of cache this message. And the first, uh, there's three principles we want to give you in, in, as a foundation for being a community that welcomes children and youth and disciples children and youth and in so doing, are disciple ourselves. So from now on, think inter interrelated. We disciple kids and youth, we are discipled. They disciple us in a way, they shape us. We were shaped by the interaction that happened with our kids today in worship. That was, that was wonderful. Yeah. You know, whenever you have and include kids in worship, it, it's a loose cannon, isn't it? And I think this is partly what the disciples were upset about. You can't predict kids. You can't quite control and be in charge of what they're going to do. And God likes that kind of setting. Um, and so the first foundation is that parents are entrusted with a primary role in the discipleship of children. So even though we're talking about being a community that makes disciples of children and is in turn discipled by children, we recognize and honor the fact that God has entrusted uh, children to parents in uh, a primary role. So Kathleen is going to take us through some scriptures that elaborate on that. Okay, let's look at Proverbs 1. Of course, when the scriptures say, listen, my son, it also means, listen, my daughter. And all the women nodded. To your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Mm -hmm. So both parents, if present, are given a biblical mandate to instruct and train the kids. Right? One and a half hours in Sunday school every week is not going to measure up to, you know, if you start counting the hours every week, I was actually thinking mathematically, that's not my strong suit. But, you know, kids go to school and then they come home and then they have how many hours and then they have supper, they have a couple hours after school, supper, then they have a, maybe an hour. Like we're talking about kids that are in school. Of course, preschool is the most amazing time for training and education. But, you know, our time, even though I, I take it very seriously as a primary leader and writing curriculum, right now translating the Alpha Middle School for Kids, I take that very serious and it's exciting and I'd love to see somehow that published someday for the vineyard. But, you know, like parents, they're the ones that have these kids. More, or, you know, some parents choose to even have their kids for, for uh, homeschooling. So let's look at the Proverbs 22 again to reinforce it. It says to start, and this has got a promise in it too, start your children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old. And old means even when they are growing. It doesn't mean when they're t t 95 necessarily. But I was thinking training is from the cradle to the grave. And as far as Gordy and I are concerned, in terms of being like way prey, grandfathers and grandmothers, we are still now receiving a lot of invitation for consultation with our son, which is amazing. It's just amazing to see the meekness that's come on Christian as he continues to ask for advice, particularly financial advice at the moment. But So even when they are old, this is the promise that if we train up our kids, and by the way, you know, people that aren't parents don't tune out. Because I've seen over the years that Gordy and I have had the privilege of being here. Single people have been actually, as you've mentioned, they've been actually discipled, not just by children, but by surrogate moms and dads. People that are taking the place of maybe fathers and mothers that were absent or fathers and mothers that really were struggling in their own walk, right? Training is from the cradle to the grave. Start early and continue. As a young mom, I was like completely at the bottom of self-esteem because all my affirmation at that point when I had Christian was from my career. 
I was like, this was what I wanted to do. I really couldn't, I really wasn't interested in getting married. I was going to, you know, basically be a missionary educator. I was on my way to joining Mother Teresa, and Gordy caught me. That's another story. But, uh, you know, I was so dependent at that point in time on all the affirmation that came to me from my colleagues, from other educators. I helped plant a Christian school in Calgary. And then being married and, and having a baby, and I wanted to have this baby. I'm at home. I'd given my car to my husband because he didn't have one. So uh, he, I was a good catch. <laughs> You're supposed to laugh. No, it's okay. Uh, so here I am. And I was actually, for the first time in my life, encountering quite a bit of depression. And I felt like Gordy encouraged me, but the Lord really said to me, reach out to your neighbors. Make your neighborhood. So I connected with another woman from our church. She also had preschool. Her name was Ellen Smith. And we started a mama's group, and then we, uh, we basically developed a kids' group. And we took turns having the kids. And from that point on, my whole life changed. I wasn't depressed. My self-esteem wasn't dependent on my career. I had wonderful friends. And um, some people came to the Lord. They became Christians. A little French girl, Cian, and her husband, Ron. So through our groups, kids' group and mom's group, we saw our neighborhood reached and some people come to become Christians. Okay, so here we are. Uh, let's look at the example of Timothy. I gave you a little, one little example of myself, but I am reminded, Paul says, of your sincere faith, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. How many grandmothers besides me do we have? Oh, one, two, three. Okay, and rising. <laughs> so, Gordy mentioned this last week about how incredible it was for Timothy. We don't know whether Timothy didn't have a father. He was an absentee father. But his faith was intergenerational. Faith can be passed on intergenerationally. Right? So that means even if you're not going to get married and have kids, you can pass this on to your nieces and nephews. You can pass it on. Right? Faith can be passed on. How? Obviously, the parental role is key, but also grandparents, elders, and other mentors are extremely beneficial as well. Paul refers to this in 2 Timothy 3. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. Become convinced of what you know from whom, whom you have learned it. And from infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise and I was meditating about wise, and I'm sure that the theolo theological scholars, wisdom is knowing what to do and when to do it, and having the right information, and which means godly principles. But I was thinking about what is it that we are basically endeavoring to do in terms of training and discipleship. It's we're going counterculture. Marva Don writes about this in her book, and I'm studying it right now about how it's not easy to go counterculture. We talked about that. But counterculture means we cease from being consumeristic. We cease from just becoming fat, you know, whatever. And we become people motivated by being present to others to give and to serve. And we get our esteem from giving and being, and, and I'm not talking about being a workaholic here, but an expectation to be Christ-like, which means an expectation to, to serve others. Well, don't you want your kids to be raised up to have that incredible, or yourselves? Wouldn't you like to be people known in your community as people that are just for others? So foundational principles. Then, Gordy? All right. So the, that's the first foundational principle, is that parents are entrusted with the primary role in the discipleship of children, but it's in the context of the community of faith. So the second foundational principle we want to leave you with is that parents need the community of faith for their own discipleship and for that of their children. Um, we, we're going to talk about the, the 414 window in a few minutes, but what they have found is that the church loses 80% of its children by the time they become adults. 80% of kids are lost by the time they become adults. 40% of that 80% stops going to church when they become teenagers. 
the other 40% stop going to church when they graduate from high school. And what they found is, here's where the community of faith comes in. What they have found is that those statistics become nil when parents are engaged in a local church, healthily involved, faithful, walking with Jesus, modeling a, disciple, a life of discipleship, is that that 40%, that 80% is reduced to zero. The, kids, the chances of the kids continuing on in faith and in the church are, are almost 100%. So it's, it's not just parents, but it's parents faithful to the local church. It's, it's, it's being part of a faith community. And, and uh, it's, 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 a, it's a remarkable stat. So parents out there are thinking, I'm already overwhelmed trying to... But, you know, like Paul writes in regards to the community of faith, and he, he gives us an inspiration and an, exp an exhortation in regards to others, significant others. And I must say that I... You know, like when we first started here, we were considered a kind of a street church, and we have evolved immensely, and we still have about 100 to 150 guys, right, Kenny? You know, every Tuesday night. And Tuesday gals. And gals. And young people. So we almost have another congregation. Uh, you know, we, talk, we think VEV is this little group or people that are, but, you know, we have a street population. That's, and, and Robbie was here today, and we, we must say, praise God. Robbie came here early, and some of you know who Robbie is a great First Nations man, and he has his first permanent job today, he goes, and he's going to be moving into a new apartment out of the downtown east side on Main, and, we, and he was here holding the babies, and so he's an example of what can happen through long-term commitment to our street population. However, when Paul writes, he says, so he writes, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. So Paul is saying, Oh, he's a guy, but he's saying, I'm, I'm even like a, a mother. I can be gentle. Mm -hmm. A man, who says a man can't be gentle? That's part, one of the reasons why I married Gordy, because he is an amazing gentleman. And because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives. So this group of people that I see sitting before me and others, I mean, I know you guys like Wade and Joe and Miles and Karen, you're... you're Figuring it out. You, try, you gave us a testimony. It wasn't always easy, but you're sharing life together. And Dawson and Leone are trying to figure out how to have a date night so that you can keep your marriage alive. And you're having other people in the congregation come and share your, your children. And Gordy and I have been over and enjoyed being with your kids. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you. For you know that we dealt with you as a father deals with his children, encouraging, comforting, as a father, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. So we see how Paul parented the Thessalonians. Mm -hmm. We always think of Paul like a scrawny little guy running around barking orders. You know, rawr, you know that stupid joke that you know. What is it about uh, uh, going to Europe? Something about shut up, keep swimming. You know, like we think about Paul always being kind of a brute, and and yet in the scriptures it says uh, of his own testimony that Paul was gentle. He was encouraging and comforting and urging. This is, this is what it means to be tremendous men. We see how Paul parented and modeled God's parenting. And God is calling a lot of us that aren't parents into that. That mothering and fathering, whether we are parents or whether we are mentors. Mm -hmm. So, and, and Paul modeled God's father and mother heart as a leader. And so, as, as parents in the congregation saw Paul modeling God's father heart, to them, that equipped them to disciple their own kids. That this equipped them to uh, to parent their own kids. So the third foundation we want to give you is number one: parents are entrusted with the primary role in the discipleship of children. Secondly, parents need the community of faith for their own discipleship and that of their children. The third is the goal: the goal of discipleship of children is this that the next generation finds their place 
in the story. The Germans and the Swiss have a, have a term, Heilsgestik, which means the sacred story. And we all know that story is an important part of discipling our kids. They, we share the story of God, and it's the story of a God who is relentlessly at work to make everything right again. But he refuses to do that apart from us. And so what we're doing is we're discipling our kids in the story, but we're not doing it in a way where they know David and Goliath off by heart, and they know the feeding of the 5,000 off by heart. And, 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 you know, some of you heard me tell the story of the, the teacher that, that asked her Sunday school class, who invented the electric light bulb? And little Johnny with glassy eyes says, I know, it's Jesus again. Right? <laughs> and that's sometimes what happens. We call it, and we don't mean it as a put down, but we sometimes call it Sunday school faith, yeah. where children believe because that's what they've been told but they haven't owned that. There's a tragic story in the Old Testament about two kings. One was Josiah, which we'll hear about in a minute. The other was Joash. Joash was two child kings. Both were godly. Both led uh, Israel into, into righteousness. But then when Joash became of age and his mentor died, he turned. He, he actually murdered the son of his mentor after his mentor had passed away and he turned on God. And we find that he had this faith that he did not own. He didn't own the story. And so we're not just wanting our kids to know the stories of the Bible, but we want them to find their place in the story. We want them to find uh, their gifts and their passions. We want them to, to be able to minister. And, and what, what so blessed me about our service this morning, even though it's kind of a sleepy long weekend morning, it's just to see so many of our kids engaged in ministry, in leading, in worship, and even our preteens last week, it was such a blessing to see Esther uh, leading worship, and, and, and Kaylee helps serve our, our younger ones, and Esther does, and Aiden when he's here, uh, they're, they're engaged, they're, they're, they're serving, they're, they're finding their place in the story. And so the third important uh, aspect then is finding their place is, is not just telling them the stories, but finding their place. So let's look at Josiah. Josiah found his place when he discovered the book of the law. Well, actually, a servant went and brought it back to him. He was eight years old when he became king. Wow. You know, like, that beats Prince Charles for sure. I mean, <laughs> how does that work? But, I mean, like, he was, you know, obviously he inherited that. And we're not talking about that so much, but, you know, we inherit the calling. God has a special calling for each one of us. And I know that when I met Gordy, my calling was enhanced. So I hung around with people that are enhancing my calling. And, and then we have the discernment of who we need to be around our kids. But he was eight years old when he became king. He reigned for 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed the ways of his father, David. So obviously... He was thinking about King David, and he was learning the history and the scriptures because that wasn't his real biological dad. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, he was 16 years old. He was still young. He began to seek the God of his father. Well, our kids, like, you know, when I do primary school, our kids will give testimony of what they believe God is already calling them to like a missionary in Thailand. Okay, what does that mean? Does that mean that uh, Sophie's going to make soap? Well, I doubt it. But she knows that she's got a calling. It's just not her mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And then we talked about, you know, about others. Uh, and, we, and the Annika. kids, and Annika, yeah. Annika has said publicly that she feels she's called to China. I mean, we're talking about our kids. Now, to me, sometimes I get overwhelmed about, oh, man, there's just a, like five kids. But you know what? Like Jesus had 12. So the Lord just says to me, you know, the quality is more important than maybe hundreds of kids that are running around just kicking each other in the shin trying to figure out who can get the biggest bag of candy, right? I'm not saying that that's what churches do. But I, I think we can't undermine, and we are here, Gordy and I are here together to fight for this, to fight for the discipleship of our parents and our children. So Josiah went on to initiate a tremendous Reformation. When he found him his place, when he saw the book of the law, and he said, 
Oh, we are doing things the wrong way. How old was he? He was about 20-something, wasn't he? 20. 20. And uh, he went on to initiate tremendous national reformation. How many of you are 20? Anybody here? I'm at, I'm at least we 20. We need a few more 20-year-olds. <laughs> and Mark is putting his hand up to claim it. And then in Second Kings, because I don't want to forget about the girls, here's this beautiful little servant girl kidnapped. I mean, she, didn't, she doesn't have a whole lot of advantage of, you know, going to Royal Rhodes University or whatever it is. And here she is. She's kidnapped. And she is uh, serving Naaman's wife. And she says to her mistress, very with great confidence, if only my master Naaman would see the prophet, who's that? Elisha, who's in Samaria. He could be cured of his leprosy. And you know the whole story is amazing. The Naaman had to go, and he says, I'm not going to go in those muddy old dirty waters. And Well, if you don't go there, you're not going to get healed. So he did go. So Naaman followed this young girl's instruction, sought out Elisha, obeyed his instruction, and was healed of leprosy. To me, that's a great example of how our kids can be powerful in evangelism and in transformation of people that are pretty high up. Naaman had a lot of influence. So Joel 2 says, gather the people, and this is what Dawson was referring to. We always think, oh, can we get a babysitter? we got to get a babysitter. Well, you know, I don't think we always need to have babysitters. We need to figure out how to pray with our kids present as well. Gather the people, consecrate the uh, assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, even those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. God does not want us to forsake the coming together. Now, why is that, that it's so hard to come together? Because it takes sometimes more than bus tickets. He wants us to come together in a multi-generational dynamic. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep. And that's sometimes what I feel like doing. Between the portico and the altar, let them say, Spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? This is what our preteens are saying right now in this church. Where is our God? Who is it that can walk with us and do some crazy, wonderful, incredible things going on missions? Why should our children and our youth say, where is our God? Oh, I got another scripture here. Because... And Joel 2, oh, this is great. Let's read this together. we got to do this together because it involves you. It's what's going to happen when we start to really seek God in prayer. And afterward, let's read it together. I I will pour pour out my my spirit spirit on all people. people. Your Your sons sons and daughters daughters will prophesy. Your old old men men will dream dreams. dreams. Your young young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women... I will pour out my spirit in those days. So what's at stake? When we say the, the 414 window, what do we mean? Well, it, it comes from the phrase the four, four, uh, 1040 window, which used to be between 10 degrees uh, latitude and 40 degrees latitude north of the equator. Uh, and it was this uh, window in, from, that spanned from Africa through Asia to uh, South America, and it was that part of the world that was the least reached. Something like 80% of the world's population was not reached. Well, they found another unreached people group window called the 414 window, and to explain it, this graph kind of helps you. It says an age at which people become Christians. So you'll see here that 1% of people become Christians at the age of between 0 and 1%. 10% of people become Christians between the age of 15 and 30. And 4% of people will become Christians between the age of 30 and over. So 80%, and 85% of all people who, do, uh, who uh, come to Christ do so here. 85% of all people who do not accept Christ by the age of 18 never will. Right? So that's just... Um, a fact, and we have a video that kind of, if you can just cue that up, Peter, we'd like to show you 
that kind of tells you, tells all of us what's at stake. There's a, there's a global movement right now that's happening with uh, the 414 window, with the body of Christ. The Lord is awakening the church to this reality that's happening, and we want to be a part of that. So here we go. I'm Lassa Hirvi Lambe, and I'm from Helsinki in Finland. I'm Lynn Marie Duplessis. I come from South Africa, and I'm 10 years old. Melissa Fornoff, I'm 12 years old, and I'm from the United States. I am Shudan Wilson, 14 years old, from India. I'm Jared Watts, I'm 13, and I'm from Australia. My name is Salma Halid. I'm Holly Anderson, I'm 14 years old. And I come from Tanzania, and I'm from England. This is a time where there is a call from God that we're sensing to raise up a new generation. This is one of the most exciting moments of my life. And the reason for that is because so many are coming together from so many nationalities, generations, types of work and vocation, because we have the same concern. The body of Christ is coming together around this understanding that to reach our world for Christ, we need to pay attention to the children, make them a priority. We're trying to bring those that represent the many different influences in the life of the children and say, this is an issue for all of us. What can we do together more effectively, better than what we can do on our own? In terms of the Great Commission, the most significant force to fulfill Great Commissions are children and youth. There's a verse in Genesis chapter 30 and verse 1, and the first phrase of that, Rachel's desperate to have children. She says, give me children or I'll die. If you're not seeing a, a certain percentage of youth always coming in, definitely the church is going to slow down in its growth and eventually stagnate. If we stop to think about that, this is so significant for churches today. If we don't say, give me children, churches will die. I'm 17 and by the grace of God I've managed to plant the church. If I had my own church, I would make um, the sermons a lot easier to understand. I'd put the 414ers first in the church and maybe, I don't know, let them have a moment of speaking and give them some spotlight. Children are themselves engaging in prayer. all the children staying upstairs in their room circled around a piano and they would spend hours in praise and worship and we could hear the heart of God through the little children they understand the needs of their country and my country big men with little children many children in India do not know about Christianity so I want to spread the gospel to them This generation is different than any other generation in the history of mankind. This is the Google generation, Facebook generation, the Android generation. This is a generation that thinks, that connects, and, and communicates differently. The language of the 414 movement, the language of the 414ers, is media. We need to know their language to reach them. So at the same time as we're trying to reach them and transform them to be transformers, you can do that, and as they grow up into adults, they've got the Christian values and be transformers. But in addition to that, I believe even while they're still in their children stage or the children age bracket, they're going to become transformers. God is going to start using them in ways the churches never really understood. God empowers them to preach the word, to heal the sick, to cast off the demons, and to demonstrate his love and his purposes in the world today. We're seeing major movements come together just to wake up the church to say, we've got to reach children between 414. There's a whole child theology movement that is, has emerged that is beginning to energize theologians, beginning to look at scripture with the child in the midst.
project will be changed. Many people will come, will come to know Christ through me. God will use me in a great way. The Lord can change my country. We've got to focus on the 414. We've got to see them as the agents of transformation. They need a group of people to come together and say, we care. We really want you to succeed. God uses the weak vessels to astound the wise. And that we're going to see them preaching. We're going to see them reaching out. We're going to see children involved in things that we thought only adults could be doing before. So what I'd like to do is in the uh, concluding minutes, I'm going to take about five minutes and, and lay out before you what I see as our vision. It's not something that will be surprising or new. If you've been around our church, you'll, you'll begin to recognize, hey, that, oh, that's why we do this. But before we do, Kathleen just has a few more stats on that. So if you could just bring it back to this where it was before on the show, Peter. Just, uh, just to inspire us, this whole thing, particularly of prayer, Psalm 8 Verse 2, you, O God, have established a stronghold from the mouths of children to silence the enemy and the avenger. There's a man uh, in this book, uh, Louis, Louis Paul. So this book is just amazing. I'm, I'm going to try to get more copies. He's, he's the author of the 414 window. He's the man that you saw on the video. He's spearheading. He was the one that spearheaded the 1040. Now he's spearheading the 414 window. And Gary and Joy Bess are very involved in that right now as we talk. But in this book, it talks about a man named John Robb, who was the chairman of the International Prayer Council and the Children's Prayer Network. He did a pilot project in seven countries called uh, SIP, Children in Prayer. And this was in 2002. Research showed children's prayers. They, they basically went to seven countries and had the kids praying. And they documented the direct results. Rel relatives were healed of sickness. Community splits were healed. Parents and community leaders came to faith. And right after the kids prayed, they had uh, sort of like very significant um, release of finances for things that they prayed about, like wells or clean water or kind of facilities for their neighborhood in this whole area of development, of community development. Clean water, wells were established, medical clinics were established at the precise time right after the kids had prayed. And children were getting higher grades and higher academic levels after they engaged in this ongoing prayer. So, I mean, there's a lot of benefits. But we tend to think we're supposed to be the ones that pray. And so I've been presenting to our leadership team, how can we have our kids involved in more of our prayer times? Mm -hmm. and, and you know what? Yes, it's going to be messy, but maybe we need to mess it up a bit. So what do we do as a church? How, how are we a community together in, in discipling our, our children and our youth? Well, one of the first things we do is we pray for the unborn children. When, whenever we find that there's been an announcement that a baby is coming, I immediately regard that as a Holy Spirit-given prayer assignment. And I pray, pray for the, uh, the new members of your family that are, are yet unseen, but God sees them. And Psalm 139 is clear that, that God is knitting them together and, and, and working in them. Uh, baby dedication is a very special time. It doesn't take a lot of time, but it's very sacred. Just like we blessed Peter and Jessica, that, that kind of sacredness of, of as a, a, it's holy ground when a child comes and the parents present the child to the Lord. Uh, and often as much as possible, they do that with their extended family there. And sometimes it's not possible geographically. But we, we consecrate the children to the Lord and we covenant as a community that it's not just the parents who have the responsibility. We honor the parents as the primary disciplers, but we also as a church covenant together, and I think that's very important. We've talked about in the last few weeks about water baptism and, and the sacraments and the importance of, of that in our discipleship and in making disciples and in entering into a covenant with God and renewing our covenant with God. And I believe it's an important and at the discretion of the parents and Consult you know, as they, as they uh, 
discuss these things with their children as to when the appropriate age uh, is. I think a child needs to understand what's going on. I was baptized at the age of eight. Um, I understood what I was doing at the age of eight. And um, uh, that I was dedicating my, Christ, my life to Christ. And um, we also value multi-generational worship. Now there's logistical problems with multi-generational worship. Um, children sometimes need things broken down. So that's why we have often a kid's track. For, for children that are preschool or primary age. But as, as much as possible, even the teaching of the Word, I, I, I struggle a little bit with preteens. I'm not sure if they need to be out of our public service. I think they understand, but I understand that sometimes they need a separate activity, a separate event. But, but the Scriptures seem to indicate that when a child is ready, they should be listening to the Word together with their parents. And they need to watch you tithe. They need to watch you worship. Uh, they need to watch you engage in prayer and in ministry. So there's something about intergenerational that is so powerful when, when children see their parents engaged in worship. And so that's a value we have. Some churches, when you come, you check them in at the door and you never see them till the end of worship. And, um, and, and I, I'm not criticizing churches for doing that, but I think something is lost that, uh, that we, we get to have. As a, as a congregation. And I know when you have preschoolers and young children that, that it's hard work. And so there's, there's always that tension of, of how much do we let kids in with everybody else and then when do we have a separate child care. But, but at the heart of it is the multi-generational aspect of worship. I've already mentioned the kids track and we try to do the kids track in a way where it's not a babysitting service so the parents can have a one hour break. Now, there's nothing wrong with that in itself, and I, and, I, and I understand the need for that if you've had a full week and a busy week, but the idea, again, is partnership, and I've, I highly want to affirm and value the way that I see parents engaged in this rotating teams uh, with key workers through the, the week, both in our preschool and our primary. I, I love that. I, I feel that I lost something, dads, when I didn't do that as, as a, as a, when my kids were young. Something was lost that I picked up when my kids became teens. I kind of made up for lost time. And I was the youth pastor when my daughter was a teenager. But there was something lost when I didn't, at least in a rotation, partner with our church in discipling our kid. It was kind of like out of sight, out of mind. So I strongly encourage that. I know sometimes it has to do with gifts and where you are at in your life and everything that's going on. But there's something powerful about parents teaming up with kids. So again, even though it's an hour a week for maybe every two months, there's something about partnering that I think speaks powerfully. Life together. I think what Kathleen mentioned where you, where you are aware of who's living in your neighborhood and you, you help each other babysit. You give each other dates. You support each other as parents. You do things. I think there's something about p partnering with singles. I think singles need kids and kids need singles. And, and so life together geographically being strategic about where you live and why you live there and 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 not only being aware as Kathleen said about people that go to your church but people that are open and hungry in the neighborhood that want to want to uh, partner with you marriage preparation and enrichment we think that doing the hard work of preparing couples for marriage whether or not they're going to have kids that we recognize sometimes couples do not have or cannot have kids or they they they've made a vocational choice not to have kids but they're living their life for others and there's something about couples loving one another that is powerful for kids whether they're your kids or not there's something about them modeling a life of sacrifice and laying down your life for others and finally this concept of bar bat mitzvah which is under construction it's a jewish word which means uh Son or daughter, bar is son, bat is daughter. And it means they become responsible to obey the law in the Jewish context. There was an understanding that when a young person reached 12 or 13 years of age, that they became responsible and were beginning to be mentored as an adult in an adult world. And it's ironic to me that that is the age when the church is losing a whole lot of kids. There's something we're not being intentional about 
There's something about not recognizing a critical passage of life that happens at this period. Other tribal cultures, they take the boys out in the bush and, you know, the women, the girls have a, a passage of life too with the women and the boys go out in the bush and they leave the boys on their own and then the warriors kind of stay behind the trees and see how the boys will do. And then the boys just learn to, 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 to be responsible, to, to be wild, to, to uh, you know, to be warriors. And I think there's something about taking our kids on a wild trip when they're around that age, a missions trip, cross-cultural, lower post, Burma, wherever. Uh, there's something about that passage of life that I think is very important. And so the elements of a bar mitzvah would include uh, teaching on relating to God, relating to each other, and relating to the lost, uh, social uh, interactive uh, curriculum. I mean, kids need to have fun together. I mean, I saw this little circle of kids dancing together today. I saw some possible arranged marriages happening. I saw... But, but what are they experiencing? They're experiencing this kind of community as peers together as a, as a church. Uh, and there's something powerful about having fun together. Um, internship. And this is already happening where our kids are serving, as I mentioned earlier, there's, some of them are today. Our preteens are downstairs serving our kids. Uh, there's, um, uh, as I mentioned, get, they're beginning to get involved in worship. I know some of them have talked about getting involved with the sound. And so practical service like that is that we're, they're beginning to be treated as adults, praying for people, as Kathleen mentioned, getting them involved. We also value the uncle-auntie idea where where. The children in our church have someone who is not their parent that they trust to be an uncle or an auntie to them, to be a mentor to them. We have a number of these going on in our church right now, and it's, it's a bit of an informal process. It's not like we, we have a system or a program, but we do encourage that, that every one of our children, especially as they're in the preteen's age, um, they experience that. Outreach. It's great to see Kaylee and others... Uh, Esther sometimes comes to Chilliwag, and they're, 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 they're learning what it is to be outward focused. Um, by the way, Veronica's coming to Chilliwagon. And next week, right? Not this week, but next week. Awesome. And Veronica, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, she was at the welcome table today, passing out brochures. We really appreciate that. And, uh, and, and then cross-cultural mission, as I said. I really believe that it's important for our kids to go on an adventure together as a church family. Uh, and uh, um, I think it's really important that there's a celebration where, where we set a milestone. So, you know, we're, we're, it's under construction, but we have a whole lot of kids in the primary coming up, and we want to be ready for them at this next pre-teens passage and, and literally have a two-year program where at the end of the two years they have a graduation celebration of their, of their uh, the, some churches call it uh, confirmation, others the bar, the, the Jewish is the bar and bat mitzvah. Marcus does this for his kids in the, in the Reformed church. And so this is why it's important, this is why Rose did all the hard work of, of, of developing policies and procedures so that we're a, a safe church. And that's why so many of you are doing so well going online, doing your volunteer application forms. Uh, Dawson said it's, it's, it's going good. There's lots of, lots of people filling that out. Keep it up. And why, why do we do this? It's a pain in the butt. None of us wants to do this. It's not casting out demons, but why do we do it? Because we value our community being a safe place for our kids. All right? So part of our discipleship is being known in community so that our kids have a safe place to be. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. It doesn't. This is a safe place where you will be loved and you will be accepted. But you need to be known and we need to know you so that we make sure that we follow policies and procedures so that our kids are in a healthy, wholesome environment. And before I let Kathleen, because she's taking a breath and she wants to share, let me say this, that one of the number one reasons why I hear kids say that they stopped leaving church is it was boring, it wasn't fun, they, they, they would never think of going back to church once they had the opportunity not to. And so the fact that we are working hard, and I look at our kids, they're having fun. 
They're enjoying the life that we have together as a church. Can we do better? Of course we can. We can always improve and we're working on that. But this is, it's important. We use the phrase, create on their palate a taste. A t- create on their palate a taste for Jesus so that when they are old, they won't depart from him. I just want you just to forget about Gordy and I sitting here and maybe just, just for a quick second, close your eyes and envision this target we're talking about. 85% of people who ever become Christians do so between the ages of 4 and 14. I've been reading this for some time now. And I'm thinking, you know, I think my life has to be changed by this fact. Keep your eyes closed. Now just imagine a guy who's been, you know, representing, he's representing Canada and he's in the Olympics and he's going to be an archer. And they have a big bullseye there. And hopefully the guy is like Dawson did at church camp, you know, pulls the bow, uh, has an arrow in it, and he's showing people, okay, how we can hit at least the mark. The bullseye is like, I think only my friend Susan, my Korean friend, hit the bullseye. But we are talking about 85% of people who ever become Christians here. And we're talking about the heart of the harvest. And we're talking about the bull's eye of mission. And we're saying, what? Huh? So what? It's going to be a problem. So I'm thinking, I, you still are envisioning this? You're envisioning a guy that from Canada has, is going to represent Canada. And he's standing there with his, with his bow and arrow. And he shoots it. And he shoots into a puddle of pee or something. He shoots it over here, and you're thinking, what the, you know, what's, can't the guy even aim for the bulls, uh, can't he even aim for the target? That's embarrassing. He's representing Canada. So here we are, and I don't think God is, like, mad at us. I don't think God is mad at me. But I'm thinking, like, maybe we could be strategic. I feel like our church has been laying the foundation and not just being safe but being genuine, transparent. And then we're talking about, okay, well, maybe God is going to call a few of you today. Maybe like he's called me. He's going to call some of you. He calls, not me. He's going to call some of you to step up and to become like this major disciple person working with a 414 window, taking teams to Burma or wherever we're going to go, Uganda or wherever. But isn't that an amazing picture? We have this strategic vision in front of us. Are we going to step up? Mm-hmm. We want to be part of this global movement, focusing on our 414s. Kids can do it, but only with our help. So we felt that we, we wanted to end today with a prayer uh, on behalf of our congregation, a, a petition to God. Uh, not unlike... Um, the prayer from Matthew 9 where Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest. Where he said, the harvest is plenteous, the laborers are few. So what we've heard today is where the harvest is really ripe. We've heard where it's a no-brainer. But we first of all stop by coming to God and saying, Lord, would you send laborers into your harvest? And then, how do you want to use me in that harvest? I believe that every one of you in this church has a role, some role. And we're not trying to make apples oranges. We're not trying to make, put you all in a cookie cutter where you're, you're all Sunday school teachers or you're all babysitters. Or what. That's not what we're saying. But within the gifts and the, the passions that God has given you, you have a role in being part of our community to discipling children and youth. And... What I'd like to do is, I first of all would like to ask all those that are, and there's a lot of people away today and off doing different things, but those who are parenting uh, minors, could you just stand to your feet right now? And grandparents, please stand too. Yeah, Steve, you can stand. Because you have a key role, an absolutely critical role. And first of all, I want to say to you guys, thank you. 
for loving our kids, and I do say our kids, because God's entrusted them to you, but they're ours, and they're His. And thank you for receiving and welcoming them into the world. And we want to partner with you. And so in the spirit of that, if, if there's enough of us, I don't know if we have enough of us, but I'd like just symbolically for different ones of us to go and stand with those that are standing, if we could just do that. We're going to pray a prayer of intercession, but I, I kind of want us to do this symbolic standing with someone. Uh, it takes a village to make a disciple. It takes a village to make a disciple. So some of you, your uncles, your aunties, your big brothers, big sisters, your mentors, some of you are just techno geeks that a child is just going to come up to you and go, what is that? And you may not feel like you're great with kids, but because of who you are, you let a little child into what you're doing. They're going to be impacted by that. So, you know, I used to feel like I was not good with kids, and I'm still not the greatest in terms of, like when I see other people interact with kids and do kids' church. Kathleen's amazing. She has this intuitive ability to know the developmental level of where a child is at and what they can understand, and I'm so lousy at that. But what I found is, has overwhelmed that for me is is God's heart for kids. What he sees, how he sees them, and he's given that to me. I love kids. I just, I adore them. If I'm shopping or just out in the drive, I just stare. You know, I just, I just, I can't stop looking at kids. I can't, it's, it's, I don't see it as a distraction in worship. I love watching the kids engage together in worship. Uh, and so, just ask God, if you, don't, if you feel like, that's just not me, that's not my life. I, just ask him to show you his heart. That, that's where it starts. Yeah. I'd like to just say, do you remember that, the media thing? Well, if we don't have some techno geeks, how are we going to reach? Because the kids are all on Facebook, mm-hmm. the kids are all doing media. We need some techno geeks. Mm-hmm. Seriously, we do. And so it's not just, like, I'm a high-touch person, I like to interact with kids or with people, but we also need the, uh, the, the information technology people. We need, we need it all, right? <laughs> and, and I think one thing that I really want to make sure you all understand is that the heart that this message has come today, yeah, we felt like God wanted to give us a fresh challenge, but as Kathleen and I were preparing this, we kept going, wow, wow, this is already happening. This is already happening. This is already happening. So the heart of this is, first of all, a thank you for being a church that is open to the next generation. We're so grateful for that. So, Father, it's it's in the spirit of that that we offer ourselves to you. And, Lord, there's just, with with all of the the daily battles we go through and struggles we we have, just being a, a church in the inner city and people moving and coming and going and all of that, there just seems to be this consistent thing that stays the same as you keep sending little ones to us. That's, that stayed the same. And, we want, and so we ask, what is that about? What are you doing? What are you up to, Father? Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear? And first of all, I want to express as a pastor... My gratitude, Lord, for, for, for your willingness to send them to us. Somehow you have said that you will entrust them to us. And we're overwhelmed by your mercy and grace in that. We're overwhelmed by that. So, Father, we thank you for entrusting them to us. But, Lord, we're also in the fear of God. We also tremble, Lord, and we say, help, O God. Just as a parent takes a newborn baby into the world and they tremble as they look into the eyes of that little one, as they realize that they've been entrusted to bring this one up in the nurture and and, and admonition of the Lord. So as a community, we also tremble with them. And we say, Father, help us. We cannot do this on our own. Would you empower us Would you send workers for the harvest, Lord? Would you send laborers for our preschoolers and our primary and our preteens and our teenagers, Lord? Would you send workers, Lord, 
into the harvest. And Father, we ask that, that where you want us to be the answer to our own prayers, you would show us. You would teach us. Whether it's just continuing to be up to our eyeballs and kids as parents, whether it means being mentors, whether it means Sunday school teachers, whether it means just supporting a, a family that's just that's got children and being an uncle or an auntie. Or, Lord, each one of us has a role. We have a place. Mm-hmm. Would you pour out your spirit, as Joel promised, on our sons and our daughters. Let our men and women prophesy. Come, Holy Spirit. Just let him come. Lord, just come yes. right now. Just refresh and renew us in this vision. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. So if you have any, if there's anything the Lord's given you, we, we're going to just release you to bless them. I just want to say, the, as, as Moses said, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. I bless you to be a community that walks together with the next generation. Mm -hmm. Lord, give us children or we die. (laughs) Amen. God bless you. Have a good rest of your long weekend.